Is there just music like or the soft, soft open or whatever? So like, you're not going to hear the music. <laughs> There's no music in it? <laughs> no. I, I don't. <laughs> you guys don't have a live. Don't like music when the podcast starts or something? <laughs> Welcome to the Narrowgate Podcast. I'm Weston. And I'm Logan. And this is the Boots episode. Bootsy Collins Fosworth III, if you're privy to that nomenclature. Everybody knows Boots, and we got to uh, talk with him about all sorts of good stuff. He's got insight. He's got wisdom. He's got stories upon stories mm-hmm. of, of all of the interactions that he's had in his time here at Narragate. I thought it was pretty good. Dude, I, I loved it. I mean, I love I love talking with Boots any time of day. So uh, it's just great that he's, he's, he's really had a hand in almost every single guy's life who's passed through this ministry, yeah. you know, over so many years. And so he's got great perspective on what's going on, what it's like to be in ministry and this kind of work. And yeah, there's the way that God's grown him over the years. I think that was, that totally. was some of my favorite conversations that we had. And yeah. so, man, hope you enjoy. And as always, if you want to know more about Narrowgate Foundation, you or can, Boots' his real name, or Boots' real name, you can check the show notes. Hope you enjoy the episode. This is a real treat. Uh, <laughs> We start off every episode by asking two questions. Who are you and why are you here? Do those two questions mean anything to you? Like my name and why I'm in this room? Mm -hmm. It's your answers. So there was a rabbi once named Akiva. (laughs) (laughs) You want me to answer those? Yeah, totally, man. So uh, I have two names. My given name is Eric Davis, but hardly anybody knows that. So... uh, well, I'll introduce myself as Boots, and I am here because I've been a part of Neurogate for a long time, and I love the ministry, and I love talking about you know things that have happened and the ways God's been working. So thanks for inviting me. You bet. So most <laughs> of the people that are going to be you know listening to this podcast are graduates, people that are familiar with the program, and everybody knows you, right? I mean, you're... You've been around forever. You've had so some kind of interaction with pretty much every class that's come through, you know, Narragate to some degree. So the the introduction is sort of kind of tongue in cheek. I mean, it's I, I like should should we make you say it? Like, do sure, you guys, do you guys, I, I, I can do that. Does Bill still tell like who, does somebody still tell the story of the boots story? Like pretty much every single um, we on reserved occasions, like day one of yeah. student experience. <laughs> I, yeah, think, okay. I think not. I think that there's been a big enough gap now where there's there's people that <laughs> don't actually tell, know. Well, now. this is a wide audience, so it, it could actually sure. be good because the mystery will be revealed. Yeah. What is that Greek word mysterion? Something that was once concealed but mm. now revealed. That's it. So this we'll, is it. We'll, we'll this reveal is the, moment. <laughs> the and it's not the story where I save orphans from a burning building. Yeah, or the bus, I'll be the genuine. school bus. Yes. Yeah. So um, I uh, was a student at Narrowgate in 2005 came in the summer and uh it was awesome and uh a lot of guys tell their story about being here and at some point in time they're like dude i wanted to leave but i never really did because i was excited about the fact that nobody could find me but by gps coordinates (laughs) so anyway (laughs) during my time at narrowgate a pretty big natural disaster happened it was hurricane katrina september of 05 and so Grace Chapel was doing some relief work, and it was like, I think someone preached at Grace Chapel, and then like six hours later, Bill's like, we're going to, you know, we're going to go down there. We're going to go to New Orleans. Well, we couldn't get to New Orleans, obviously, because that was like ground zero. But we hooked up with uh, a guy that lived down Gulfport, I think, or somewhere in, um, what would it be, Alabama, Mississippi coast. Yeah. And we kind of posted up there. So he he was in this area that was pretty hit pretty bad. And so we had all our gear, all our stuff. We kind of stationed there, but his house was fine. So we went out, distributed water, you know, we're helping people clean up their stuff. And it was a powerful experience. But, you know, by the end of it, everybody's tired and we're packing up to go. And in those days, everybody was issued the same Montreal hiking boots. Mm. So there's this pile of like 15, 16, 17 pair of Montreal hiking boots. And it's like four in the morning. We're leaving. We're tired. And I was late to the, you know, hiking shoe party. So like <laughs> everybody had basically gotten theirs. And there's only like a size 12 
left and I'm like a size 10. So it's, I'm tired and I still got a real thick Midwest accent because I grew up and was raised in Wisconsin. So I'm walking around with these size 13 or 12 Montreal boots and I'm trying to find whose they are because that person probably has mine. So I'm walking around, I'm just saying, hey, whose boots are these? <laughs> hey, whose boots are these? Everybody thought it was super funny. So my nickname for about a month was, hey, whose boots are these? Yeah. But that's a mouthful. So it just got shortened a bit. They would just say the whole line. Oh, yeah. And they'd laugh. And I'm like, why are you guys laughing? Like, I don't talk weird. Y'all talk weird. I feel like every time it was retold, too, every time I heard it, like, it, it was really over. Oh, yeah. Ooh, boots are these. Like, everybody really laid into <laughs> well, it. Well, there, so. there is some truth to how thick the accent was because I couldn't understand people when I first moved down here. Really? One of the first guys I met, <laughs> met his name was Squirrel. And he just talked like Boomhauer, you know, from whatever that show was. King of the Hill. Yeah. yeah. And I felt like I needed a little, like, you know, Tennessee dialect for dummies or something. <laughs> but, hey, after almost 20 years of living down here, it's it's pretty much gone. <laughs> I don't – I mean, I don't think I know anybody that has such a – like, that has a nickname that's such a core part of who they are. I mean, like, I've never known you as Eric. Well, it's funny because it does let me know when someone says, hey, Boots, I immediately know that they know me from this environment. Yeah. So it's kind of a funny tell. <laughs> it, it, like, I mean, do a lot of people still call you Boots? I mean, like even in... My dad called me Boots. There you, you go. Know, until he <laughs> passed away, he'd be like, what's up, Boots? <laughs> and my, awesome. my wife's grandfather called me Boot. Boot. He just took the S just off. Just the one boot. Yeah. 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 So it's stuck for sure. Yeah. So you remember a while back when we um, interviewed... Uh, Rob, yeah. So that that was sort your experience in that interview was sort of you know unique in that you kind of work for Rob sure. and you know that relationship. I now am wearing those shoes or <laughs> oh, those yeah. boots. You know, no, no pun intended. <laughs> uh, boots is the one that hired me to the lodge. I've I, I worked you know uh, under him for a long time when he was program director. I was property manager and community phase lead, and so. Yeah, the the relationship that we have is close and full of all sorts of yeah. you know experiences. For sure. I mean, Wes and I have had a lot of shared experience with students and even growing as a leader. Um, you know, I've had to go back and apologize to Weston because I, you know, <laughs> kind of cut my teeth as a leader early on and you know, but it's been awesome to be close, stay friends, more than friends even just partners in ministry and uh it's fun man i i it's awesome i have a unique kind of view of of narrating that i have literally met every guy mm -hmm. that's ever gone through wow the guys who were first you know the first classes or two were either working interning sort of at narrogate first handful or they were in a class or two above me and so I came in August '05 and uh, been here ever since. Yeah. Were you, so like in '07, whenever I started as a student, were you technically on staff, or were you just kind of hanging out? Like, yeah, you know, I don't think we there had were different seasons where you had like yeah. different hangers honors. You know, I, I don't really That's think we had like uh, staff roles back then. I think we, <laughs> yeah. we were just like, hey, you want to stick around? Yeah, you like this place? Yeah. You like ministry and what we're doing? I'm like, yeah. And I think uh, some formal arrangement came some years later. Mm -hmm. <laughs> What was his role whenever you were a student? Like, I know that it was what I picked people not, up from hikes. Well, yeah, after that's what I was like, asking. I was like, I, wanna, I, don't, I, don't, know I don't remember a defined role. Yeah. Oh, no, yeah. No. We've got some stories we oh, can yeah. share from, from that season. Well, one, one quick story I do remember that uh, we've gotten a lot better at planning for the Appalachian Trail hike. So, at Narragate, <laughs> you know, for those who aren't students, at Narragate, a staple is that every student will go on a, some distance of the Appalachian Trail hike. You know, I did it, you know, it's been passed on, passed on. And, you know, Logan's class was no different, but we've figured some things out. And I remember it was kind of a dry summer and there was, you know, potentially some water issues. Yes. And then there were some <laughs> other circumstances that made the hike difficult. And so they just kind of decided, hey, I think it's safest if we just call it. <laughs> we, yeah, that's the safe way to oh, say Oh, yeah. That. So I'm not trying to go into too much detail. <laughs> oh, you're but good. We had to cut the hike, yeah, hike short. So yeah, yeah, my job was to drive and pick you guys up. And at the time, I was driving a, uh, I think it was a three-cylinder, <laughs> five-speed uh, 
Geo Metro. The Geo, dude. <laughs> mittens. I will never mittens. forget The egg that car. Vehicle. So I'm like, you know, listening to tunes on my way to pick these guys up, uh, past Knoxville. And I get there, and I, I know it's late. I think it was like either sunset or just about after. Yeah. And I remember, like, how are we going to fit everybody in here and their packs? And so we had like <laughs> three or four people in the back seat of this tiny hatchback coupe. And everybody had a pack on their lap. Yeah. Then we tied two to the to the roof of the vehicle. Yes. Packs. I, yeah. Or, okay. Not students. No, no, well, yeah. <laughs> I should clarify. Yeah. But, yeah. And I remember on Interstate I forty, like there was just a little bit of a, a a hill, and like I have to downshift because I'm going thirty five and I'm barely not making it up oh the my hill, gosh. coasting down. That was a long ride. I remember looking at each other. And we're like, we're not, we're not gonna, we're not gonna make it. We're not gonna get up this hill. Uh so many stories man i think i was thinking about you know you have literally been a part or have experienced um an interaction with every guy that's come through narrogate and that's and that's saying something you know you've got to have like deep-rooted love for this place and a just a uh, a huge collection of memories and and things that you look back on and think like I mean, what what is that like to know that you've made a difference in so many guys' lives? Yeah, I, I don't necessarily always think about it like that, but it, it does come out sometimes in waves. Like a long time ago, when Ty Homer was working here, him and I had mm -hmm. this idea that we were going to build a walking trail on the Narragate property. We started. I had tied yellow ribbon, the you know orange ribbon all over knowing where we were going to go on certain trees. And we were out there, man, you know, cutting in trails, you know, cutting down small trees. And, you know, it was great. And then, you know, we started developing other areas of the property and we just didn't have the time or the resources to finish it. So just last year, uh, a Narragate volunteer, champion volunteer, what I mean by that is he's, he's more than a volunteer. He's just super invested. His guy named Ron Graham. And he was in the forestry service forever. And so he's showing me trees and he said, dude, it'd be awesome to have a hiking trail. And I said, well, funny you say that. So him and I walked this trail and dude, it all just flooded back. Mm -hmm. Just thinking about conversations that I've had with different people on different parts of the property, you know, guys like David Winograd up on, <laughs> you know, low ropes course, you know, guys like uh, Dustin Fells, you know, Aaron Gray, and I just started telling Ron these stories. I mean, we were probably walking for an hour and a half, you know, maybe almost two. And, you know, every piece of the property, a new memory would come up. And so that's beautiful when it happens. Um, and I think the other thing, there was a, a James Ryle, amazing pastor and teacher. There's a few people that I remember their sermons years later. And one is Tim Keller. Another is... Bill Spencer, but only because I hear him like 80 times. <laughs> yeah. So I'm not going to give him credit. Hard to forget. Yeah, yeah I'm kidding. But uh, James Rowell was one of those guys, and he gave this sermon on what is the grace of God. Dude, I know exactly what you're talking yeah. about. Yeah. He gave these five words to sort of discern if God's grace is on your life to do a thing. And he said, the first mm -hmm. one is desire. You have to want to do it. And he talked about wanting to be in the band, the Beatles. He's like, dude, I didn't play guitar. <laughs> So his first one was, man, you got to have a desire, but followed that, you have to have the ability. You have to be able to do the thing that God's calling and gracing you to do. So desire, yeah, I wanted to be here. Ability, well, yeah, and developing, you know, throughout the years. And, you know, the third is opportunity. Mm -hmm. You know, you can want to do something. You can even have the ability, but if the opportunity never comes up, you know, you think about guys who were great college football players and, you know, they get into the NFL, they have the desire and the ability, but the opportunity for them doesn't manifest. Or you think about, uh, so opportunities there, and then you have to be effective at what you do. Hmm. So if you have the opportunity, but you're not effective, you know, that can prevent you from doing a thing. And then the last one is longevity. You can be effective, but can you do what God's called you to do or whatever it is that you're passionate about? Can you do it for the long haul? And so I look back and I think, man, God, your grace has been on me. And I think there's nothing special or nothing, you know, uh, super unique other than I'm confident that 
God has had his hand of grace on me or else I wouldn't have been able mm-hmm. to be here for 18 years. It's an awesome way to put that, man. Yeah. Yeah. I, okay. Can I, can I, I'll just, I'll share a little bit about my, yeah, <laughs> my first application in Airgate. <laughs> I, I, I found myself in a situation where, um, as an 18 year old, I mean, kicked out of the house for, for just, I mean, repetitive defiance of my parents. I, was, I ended up stealing a bunch of money from my grandfather. Mm, I remember writing bad checks. Yeah. And, uh, and, you know, was out of the house for a couple months. My parents invited me to come back and I was like, okay, I'm going back. I walk in the house and there's my whole family seated around the table. I walk in the front door and I sit down. And then as I sit down through the door, which I just came through, a police officer comes in. Oh gosh. And they essentially like, sounds familiar. (laughs) (laughs) Here's this place called Narrowgate. Yeah. You can sign this agreement that says you're going to pursue application here, or you can leave with that guy. (laughs) Well, of course, you know, you know, it's what I chose. Yeah, so that was before and, targeted selection. But, but, here, but here's, you know, here's the awesome thing is I went through the entire, I got to my final interview Yeah. Uh, with, with Adams and Adam Stoner. I was on the phone with Adam Stoner and, and he asked me, Hey man, do you, do you really want to come here? Like he, he, he like heard something in the spirit. Yeah. Cause I had, I had kind of like, I think I'd been through maybe three phone, phone interviews already Yeah. yeah. and kind of just like played, played my way through got to the final one and Adam had this check in his spirit. And he was like, Hey, do you really want to come here? Or is somebody kind of twisting your arm? And I was like, ding, 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 ding. <laughs> and he's like, all right, man, not the time for you. And I wow. was like, I was shocked. That's didn't that's know what was coming, but it was like almost a year later to the day that, that God like brought me to my lowest place. Dude, and I don't know if I heard that. No, story. really. That's mm-hmm. amazing. Yeah, dude. I mean, uh, goodness. In that year I, I moved out, to Hollywood, California with a cousin and burnt up all my life savings and mm-hmm. came back to Abilene, Texas with my tail between my legs. Yeah. Um, man, uh, you were done. Gotten a, gotten a really tough situation, mm-hmm. um, trying to purchase some illicit substances. <laughs> no. Uh, and, and, and I, I really did. I had, I hadn't thought about the opportunity of Narragate in a year. And it was like, God was just ringing that bell as loud mm-hmm. as he could in my mind. I remember waking up my dad at like two or three in the morning going, can I, is, is Narragate still on the table? Like, can I still mm. go? And that started the process, which eventually got me there in Dude, 2007. Dude, that, that is so cool. I'm thinking right now of a guy named uh, Brett Hardaway. He applied three times. Wow. Was As denied. Stanley Hardaway. Yeah. 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 His dad was really twisting his arm. And through, you know, the interview process and the application process, we felt like, man, he's just not ready yet. You know, he, he didn't have a real desire to change yet. And he was denied a mission on first application, second application, third application was totally different. Mm-hmm. You know, his motivation was, man, I don't have any answers, but I know that I don't have answers. Yeah. <laughs> and so please help. And so that's yeah. awesome. Like, because I think the way that the team here, you know, works to select students is super important mm-hmm. because it creates a culture of of hunger and desire to change when people really understand that, mm-hmm. hey, I need something and I don't possess that something right yeah. now, but maybe they do. Yeah. And it, and it doesn't exclude, you know, the Holy Spirit's work in that application process just 100%. because it's structured. It actually provides the opportunity for guys that were previously you know, denied acceptance to then come when they are ready. And then the guys like you, I mean, you're the worship pastor at Grace Chapel now. Mm. Brett Hardaway's knocking it out of the park as the youth pastor 100%. at the Refuge Church now. Yep. And had you had come, you know, when you weren't ready, oh. that's very doubtful. That yeah. that what do you, what do you, Logan, do you think that if you would have came under duress or force on yeah. that day, do you think it would be, do you think it would have been different? Oh, I, well, it's 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 hard to kind of speculate on that, but yeah. like I, I I think I could say absolutely. I yeah. mean, because even when I even when I said I was ready to come, I was one of those guys who like every four weeks like tried to find an excuse <laughs> yeah. to leave. Yeah. And again, I was just so afraid and so resistant to like the kind of change God wanted for my life. Yeah. But like, no, I wasn't ready for that a year prior to that. Well, and you know, I I want to make sure that it doesn't sound like that we're like slamming the door in people's faces. No, because no, the, no. the door's always open, and we make sure that guys who maybe they're not ready that they know the door's open, but, uh, you know, it usually when someone's not ready and you tell them, Hey, 
this probably isn't a fit at this time. They're like, mm-hmm. thank you. Yeah. Well, and, <laughs> you know, anybody that yeah. has any questions flag. about our interview process is welcome to, you know, yeah. ask them. Uh, speaking of the targeted selection process, you were like the the admissions application guy for years. Because they had no one else. Right. And, <laughs> and you know, facilitated the, the onboarding of, you know, hundreds of guys. Yeah. What brought you into Narragate? Like, what, yeah. what caused you to... You know, apply. Well, I was born in 19. I was born in 19. When I was one, (laughs) man, I had, um, I had pretty good growing up from a just worldly sense. You know, my mom and dad were great, had opportunities, wasn't a big religious or spiritual home, but, you know, had opportunities. And I think all those opportunities my character was never ready for them. So, you know, I went to, I got accepted and went to a Big Ten University. And I remember just not even thinking about school. I mean, duh, it's the whole reason you're there. And not going to class. And, you know, obviously the consequence of that is, okay, well, you're not going to come back in the next semester because you didn't cut it. So I feel like in my late teens, early 20s, what manifested was, this lack of internal integrity and character, which just caused collateral damage. And then shame sets in, right? Um, You know, Adam in the garden, one of the first things he did after the fall was he hid. And so I remember moving across the country three different times, you know, blowing things up. And then just instead of realizing that you can work in relationships and you can change and, you know, I would just, start a new at a new place with a new community and I just got tired of that so I moved down to Tennessee uh in 04 just because I I was I wanted to change I had a friend that I worked with at a car dealership and he said hey if it ever gets too complicated in Wisconsin come on down to Tennessee and so I did that and uh man wherever you go there you are and so I remember um just feeling helpless and aimless, like on the day that everybody got the handout of like the meaning of life, like I overslept. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so once again, I'm in a new place and I don't have resources and I'm jumping jobs. And uh, How many jobs again? Well, my wife and I counted them early, early on in our marriage. And I think the count, last count was 35 different jobs before the age of 24. Man, I had an art of getting fired. Like, <laughs> you know, it was, I, I'll tell this one quick story. Yeah. I remember I was selling cars and it was the most miserable job I've ever had. I had this boss who just would like chew people, you know, chew people out for nothing. And he was yelling at somebody and I knew he was going to call me in to like, cause he's going through progress, profits and whatever. So I start walking out in the lot, like, man, I'm just going to walk around and kill time by looking at these cars and at the time I wasn't driving. And so I'd either get a ride to work or, you know, so this city bus pulls up and there's a pretty big intersection. And I just thought, man, wherever that bus is going is better than where I'm at. <laughs> and so I just walked on the bus <gasps> and just drove away. Never came back. That is hilarious. <laughs> so, oh, I mean, and that it was like, <laughs> I just n- no, no purpose, no character, no vision, no plan, no belief in anything bigger than myself. And I remember going to Grace Chapel because at the time I was dating a girl and the requirement was that you got to go to church. I'm like, all right. But as the first church I ever went to. Her requirement for you is that you have to go to church? If we were going to date, I had to go to church with her. Like nice. she wasn't going to date me. If, gotcha. Yeah. But uh, I remember being like, what is this? Like people are playing bands and drumming and like people are, yeah. And I'm like, this is not what I'm used to. So I went, kept coming back. Obviously, the way I was living my life, the relationship didn't work out. And that is so grateful that, you know, that was, you know, the course of things. But uh, I was going there off and on for a year and just started thinking about God. Like, what if he's real? And one day I showed up and it was Bill, Rob and Adam, and they were having like a narrow gate Sunday. And it was a summer season of like stories of hope. And I remember, man, this guy doesn't talk like everybody else. These two guys talk like they've had the same experiences I've had, but yet they're not in the same place. 
maybe this guy has answers. And dude, I was at the point where I had, I would say that I had entered into the kingdom. Like I sort of over time said, okay, I think God is real. But my experience of Christianity was miserable because when I was in church, I felt guilty and ashamed. And when I was going out doing the things I used to do, I felt guilty and ashamed like all the time. So I remember I called Stacy and they told us, they told me to meet them somewhere and I'm talking with Bill. And I said, man, if what I'm experiencing is Christianity, I don't think I want it mm. because I'm just miserable. How old were you at that time? Uh, I think I was 26. So I was a little bit older than some of the students, but Bill said, hey, well, you know, why don't you come stay with us and we'll figure some of that out. And I'm trying to see the angle here because like they're inviting me to come and stay with them and do this thing. And they're going to, you know, I don't have to pay rent. I don't have to buy food. I'm like, is this a cult? Like, yeah, what's what, the catch? What's right. the catch? <laughs> you know, but there wasn't one. And I remember just feeling like for the first time that maybe I could make something of my life. Maybe I wasn't destined to fail and to be a waste of potential, all the things I believed about myself. So, you know, story goes on from there, you know, had a great transformative experience at Narrowgate and really an awakening of who God is, what discipleship means, the power of, of Christ in you to, to do all things. But the real reason I came is I was out of options. You know, and and whatever they were doing was way better than what I was doing. Dude, I remember smiling underneath my tarp, August, sweating, bug bites. I just didn't care mm. because I actually had people that weren't trying to manipulate me, weren't trying to use me, or weren't mad because I had like not paid them back money. <laughs> <laughs> so that that was your uh your your onboarding experience sure. to narrate, like what caused you to to come. There's another story that I want you to talk about about like your uh, your offboarding. Oh, my premature exit. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, because I mean, this is a podcast where we sure we want to ask interesting questions so, that people are interested in. And, so yeah. here's the deal. So you, didn't, you didn't have a you didn't have a like a, a traditional no. you know graduation. Uh, I don't. Is so it, obviously, yeah, go ahead and tell it, story. if you say I'm a Narragate graduate, that means that you graduated and you did this process. And I uh, was kicked out of Narragate. <laughs> awesome, I love right? That. So I've, I'm here and I've been here 18 years. But the fact is, I got kicked out of Narragate and it was about four months in. Remember the character thing that I was talking about? Like my, yeah. I didn't have character to sustain the choices that I really did want to make. And I remember like every opportunity that I got, I would try to sneak off and buy cigarettes or, you know, manipulate some circumstance where someone could go to the store and get something that would be good for everybody, you know, whether it was just Cokes or, or soda or whether it was dip or cigarettes. And I remember that happened like three or four times. And Bill said, Boots, you're, you're a good guy and I like you, but liking you isn't what's going to make you a great man. He said, you, you have to, you have to keep your commitments. You have to be a man of your word. And he said, if this happens again, I, you just can't be a student because it's messing with other, other people's experiences. And kind of, I heard him. Okay. Uh, so I won't get caught. <laughs> I did it again. Sure. You know, I got caught. And I remember looking at me and saying, dudes, man, I, I'm, I'm sorry, but you can't be a student here anymore. And dude, I was crushed. I'm thinking like, man, I can't even do Christianity right. Like I botched it. So he said, well, I'm not going to like put you out on the street. You can stay with me for three days, but you got to figure out what you're going to do. We're sitting in his living room on one of those nights. And he said, Boots, what would Jesus say to me if he were here? And I'm like, dude, put me on the spot. I'm like, I'm not Jesus. I don't know. <laughs> he's like, what would Jesus say? And he's like death staring at me like lasers. And I'm like, ah. He'd probably say that he's proud of you. He's like, nope. I'm like, what the heck? He'd probably say that he loves you, that he likes what you're doing, that he's like, nope, 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 nope. I'm like, okay, like, I don't know what to do here. And I remember he looked at me and he said three words. He said, I love you. And in that moment, something connected because we were reading passages in the Bible about Christ in me 
uh, for I've been crucified with Christ, but yet I live. Not me, but Christ in me. Or your life, before you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. There's all these passages about your death in Christ and his life in you. What he was trying to say is why would, if Jesus lives in you, Boots, or he lives in me, why would he talk about, why would he talk in the third person? Like if the spirit of God is in me, he would say, I love you, not Jesus loves you. And, and it can sound like semantics, but it's really not because here's the deal. Any good, loving, sacrificial, kind thought or action, that's from God. Anything that is cutting corners, trying to cheat, like that's flesh. And that was me. And so in this moment, I was like, oh, that's Jesus in him talking to me. So he gave me a challenge and he said, dude, tomorrow I want you to not let a word come out of your mouth that you don't genuinely believe, genuinely believe that Jesus would say. Don't do anything that you don't genuinely believe that Jesus would do. Okay, that's all I'm going to focus on. So we were volunteering again, painting, you know, wax on, wax off. And I was with another guy um, who also was in the same circumstance as me, meaning that he also exited Narragate. But he was kind of doing the same thing we were doing, muttering under his breath about how, you know, this isn't fair. And I just got sad. And I was like, man, we did this. I did this. Like, so I didn't engage in those kind of conversations because I'm like, well, Jesus wouldn't complain about the consequences of his own actions. And he's like, dude, we should get out of here and say we got like an appointment or a doctor's appointment or something because I don't want to paint anymore. And I'm like, well, dude, would, does Jesus cut corners? Heck no. I mean, so I'm not. I'm just going to see what happens. I'm not going to cut corners. And this is end, after you had been kicked out? Yeah, and it was still... during that three-day okay. period. Okay. So at the end of that day, I remember coming back and Bill was there and he asked me how my day was. And dude, I, my eyes welled up with tears and I just said, man... I get, like, I get what you're saying. And, you know, I didn't have like the ugly snot bubble cry that he talks about, but, you know, my eyes are, you know, leaking. <laughs> and he knew that I knew, and I knew that he knew that I knew, and we just had this connection. And he said, okay, well, I'm not going to make you leave. And so he said, what do you want to do? And I'm like, well, dude, I wanted to finish Narragate and kind of wanted to stick around, maybe even work here. He's like, well, why don't you do that? Like, I can't. I'm not a student. He's like, who's saying anything about being a student? And I'm like, oh, okay. I said, well, I'm going to do everything that the Narragate student would do, even though I'm not a student. So I finished some curriculum. I did the vision and purpose exercise. I went on the Appalachian Trail. Mm. 105 miles, man. It was brutal. Yeah. But I remember having the thought, there's a pass up here that's a pretty busy road. I can hitchhike. I got pictures. Like, I'm not a student. I don't have to do it. And I thought, well, Jesus lives in me. What are we going to do? One foot in front of the other. And this passage came to my mind that I don't remember reading, but it's from 1 Corinthians 9. And it basically says, run the race to win. Bring your body under subjection, lest you yourself be disqualified. And I just thought, I'm going to finish. One foot after the other, and I did. And it was hard. But that was my first testing of experience of something that Eric, old Eric, you know, pre-conversion would have totally cut corners on. But in this instance, I had a new motivation and, and a belief and a trust in the truth that if I'm doing this, Jesus is on the hook for helping me finish. And so I just tried to begin to live a day where I would do my best to not do anything that I didn't believe that wasn't Christ in me. And of course, not perfectly, but days turned into weeks and Bill said, well, what, I remember one day going over to uh, Phil Stoner's house, a board member, and I walked in, and there was a bunch of people there, Narragate guys, some board members, and right there, they just had an impromptu graduation. I got a sword. I was officially a graduate, but that's not why I did it. You know, I did it because there was a new creation that didn't cut corners, that didn't cheat, that kept his word, and that truth I have to remind myself of, of it, but that truth has sustained me through so many things. That, that is the most fundamental truth um, that has produced the change in, in my own life that I, that I learned at Narragate. Like, 
and communicate. You can't just like tell somebody, right? Yeah. It's Christ in you because yeah. it's the same thing you were talking about. Like, okay, yeah, cool. Yeah, yeah. Jesus is in me. But it, like when it clicks that, that it's not my life, like it's Christ's life lived through me. It yes. changes everything. There's and, a new motivation, a new power. And the thing that I was missing, the thing that caused me to fail every time was a lack of character. But Christ in me, pushing me to do things that were uncomfortable was the very thing that was building the character that I was missing. And now instead of having 30, 76 jobs by the time I'm 45, I've been at the same place for the last 18 mm -hmm. years. Yeah. Well, that, that thing, the verse that mentions, lest you be disqualified, that, I mean, you couldn't have, you could not have had the, the respect of anybody who struggled on an Appalachian trail hike in all of your years as campus director and, you know, challenging guys to go and just push through it when it got tough. If, if you had not dude, I've thought about that. Thing. And at mm. the time I had no clue of what the magnitude of that decision. Cause I just thought, man, you know, good. I'm going to finish the hike. But over the years, guys would come to me like, you think I could do the AT? Like, did you do it? And like, well, yeah, yeah, like eighty percent of it, but you could do it. <laughs> it would totally you blow. Know? It would totally blow your testimony. Lest you yourself be disqualified. Yeah, it would have so disqualified I, you from totally. having any influence in that. And like, that's the thing about God. He's outside of time. He knows. Like, yes, that was for me as a gift, but it was also throughout the years. Like, well, boots all five eight of him. You know, doesn't look like he's you know super big or strong. If if he can do it, I can do it. But I would envision like, well, I didn't do it, but you you could. <laughs> like that wouldn't work. So yeah, it's a great point, man. You have another question. I do. And <laughs> you should have told is, it to me beforehand. Well, let's is, ask Luke. Oh, oh you got I, it. I remember it. Okay. But go I'll forget ahead, it again if ahead. I don't say it now. Um you you were you were talking earlier about um the reason that you came to Narragate was because you didn't have any other options. Yeah. And like that that was my experience too. It was like whatever narrow gate is, is better than this hollow, empty life that I'm living now. And so I don't care yeah. what it is. And I never had any, like, I want to go home too. I had days where I was frustrated. Sure. sure. You know, I remember getting super never like, me though. angry. Yeah. Well, ne no, <laughs> we're not going there. <laughs> uh, but I remember it was actually DJ that I got mad at because I had, I went in the fridge and got a jug of milk to, cause we were out of milk for cereal and opened it, poured my milk. And he said, dude, what are you doing? And I was like, what? I'm, pouring, I'm getting milk for, for my cereal. He said, you, you can't just go and open the fridge and get milk out whenever you want to. Like, you got to run that stuff by Stacy. And I was like, are you freaking kidding me? I can't just get milk out of the fridge. I hate the milk this, but, you know, right? Like, but that was, that was my flavor. You guys pattern. got milk? I don't like yeah. <laughs> cereal. Yeah. Yeah. Powdered milk. Uh, you guys <laughs> got liquids? Yeah. I didn't know. I just, that was my own flesh pattern and yeah. I don't like being told what to do, but like I had the, a similar experience where I, I, I knew that like leaving wasn't really an option because like Peter said to Jesus, where, where would we go? You, you alone know? have the words exactly. of eternal life. So that, as you were just saying that, that is not always the case yeah. with guys that come through here. And so some guys, it's not necessarily that they don't have any other options. They just don't really know what they want to do, or maybe they haven't experienced sort of the emptiness of, you know, of life. So now, so, we're, yeah, now well, we're back to, I, I wanted you to speak to, to that, the other side of that coin, speak to those guys that maybe they are coming in and they have other options, but they're, mm. they're, they're not as like, you know, cause you've, you've really, I mean, you've seen it all for, for yeah. working through admissions for so long and then being what, uh, like, like working very closely with foundation yeah. and now obviously, you know, having. A, so, so there, there's a verse of scripture in, um, Jeremiah that basically puts everybody under the same cloak or everybody's in the same situation. And it starts out by saying, cursed is the man who trusts in his flesh, makes his flesh the arm of his strength. Goes on to say, like, he'll be a shrub in a desert, will not see when good comes, be dried up. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, for he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers, and when the heat comes and when the drought comes, uh, will not cease to produce fruit, and his leaves will remain green. And so, like, no matter how you look at it, there's no exception. If you trust in your own strength, in your own thinking, in your own plan, I can figure this out. I got a better option. 
there's not life there. I mean, all you have is your own limited strength and it, it dries up. And so I look at guys when they are wanting to go, debating about going, and I just really try to, to say, man, you know, don't trust me. But if you believe that God's real and you believe that the Bible is from God, here's what it says. You know, and it, but here's the, the great truth, too, is the story's never over. I mean, how many times, Weston, Logan, Colin, have we seen a guy who leaves, not the best decision, but ends up coming back and he's ready? I can think of a half dozen guys, mm -hmm. you know? And, and so, like, Logan, for you, what was the thing, the truth or the, the thing in you that m got you through those tough days? Because, I mean, there were tough ones, I'm sure. Well, I was about to ask which season was that? Uh, because, uh, uh, I mean, obviously there was, you know, knowing about Narragate and being kind of pushed towards that student experience, you know, before I was ready, but not, not only that season, but like shortly after I graduated, I mean, I, I turned and ran hard from the Lord. Um, and again, it, I, I love, I don't know. I just love, um, God's wisdom and his timing for everything. Yeah. Um, you know, we, we've talked about how some, some people have a very Pauline conversion, you know, like Paul, where it's instant, man, yeah. they're just changed forever. Yeah. And for so many of us, it's like, Pete, it's that, it's that Peter, it's yeah. like, I've got, I've got so much to learn. Three steps and again, forward, for me, I mean, that was, that was like five years of just like, of hearing that calling in my life and like running the other way. It was, it was these kind of God ordained rock bottom moments. And I, and I remember in this cruddy little house in Austin, Texas that my band lived in, like, like coming to the end of myself and like literally like crying out from my bed, like, God, like, I, I know you've spoken this over me. Like I've got, I'm, I'm remembering, like you have more for my life um, than I can even imagine that I'm pursuing right now. And, and honestly, it was, it was this, it was this family of Narragate. It was Colin Smith, you know, about a, you know, less than a year later being like, Hey, come home, dude, come back out here and just hang for a bit. You think about the gospel and it's good news. And we talk about that all, all the time, of course. But when we're going through Romans or we're studying Galatians or even in my own like re-gospeling, you cannot understand the, the, the blessing of the good news of the gospel without understanding the bad news. Hmm. Like it, the, it only comes in context of the bad. So mm -hmm. knowing that, you know, you had a, a rock bottom moment you know, Weston did, I did, everybody does. And it looks different for different people. Uh, but that's just the truth. You can't understand the good news without the context of the bad. And I think people who sometimes just are looking for Jesus to give them things or change their circumstance are not really understanding what they've been saved from. So they don't have a genuine response of, of gratitude. And so those times suck, but mm. they're they're in all of our stories for sure. Yeah. One thing that I know about you in my interactions with you is that you have a really good ability to um, read people and discern like motives and and get to the bottom of of things that you're looking for, and that that's why you were so good at the whole admissions interview process, targeted selection stuff. So, what would you say is is one thing that you've learned about people? in your time with Narragate? Man, great question. Um, I think the thing that I have learned and seen that is it's just consistent, you know, always will be, is that at the core, every single person is really looking to be seen, loved, to be accepted. And that's what motivates so many people, mm. you know, everybody thinks they're complicated and yeah, you know, there's, there's layers of stuff, but it, at the core, people want to figure out like, why did I always lie? Or why did I always mess up this or that? It's like, well, dude, you, you had this lack of a belief that you were significant, that you were loved, that you were accepted. No, that's not me, man. You know? And then shortly, you know, after getting here, they realize that truth and it breeds empathy for people, the situations they're in, and just basic human behavior.
Do you think like you've grown in your empathy towards people in general? I mean, since well, I would like to think so, but obvious. I'm probably the bad guy to ask. <laughs> no. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. He's awesome. Yes, is the answer. Yeah. Because I, you know, and I wouldn't be able to say it with such confidence if I hadn't seen such a drastic change. You know, from dude. And talk about a change. I meant to say this earlier, but like you know, knowing you back when I was a student, and and. Um, you suck so bad back then. I, I did, honestly. <laughs> no, I'm that's, that's what you're about question. to say to me. Oh, no. Uh, whoops, a little telling there. Um, <laughs> uh, and, and then, of course, I, of course, I was on staff for like, what, two and a half years. Yeah. I just wanted to point out, man, just coming come to the lodge, uh, whether for like a gra uh, graduate reunion or just kind of, I think I was here, I think I was actually here for, um, um, what, what do we call day one, guys? Oh, orientation. Orientation, that's the yeah. word. Like, I... I notice how much you have grown as a teacher and a speaker and Thanks, a presenter. Man. And I'm not sure I've actually like told, told you that. Yeah. Um, I appreciate dude, you from, saying that. Just, I know that, you <laughs> know, we, no. we got another <laughs> couple questions to yeah. ask, but uh, I have never told you this. My experience with you as the foundation lead um, as a student, like your studies through the book of John, through the foundations of faith, like that's the thing that I, that is the the primary um, time in my life where I was I was sure that I wanted to teach oh, that's because awesome, I remember you being so educated, so knowledgeable of what you were talking about. You were able to answer all the questions that I asked, and it was just like I want to like I, if I look back, I know that you played a really primary role in in me wanting to be a teacher. So to his point, like not only have you grown in that, but like even back then, man, like the grace of God was on you because it made a difference in in me. It's awesome. Well, thanks for saying that. You know, yeah. I think that's like you, it's what makes a great teacher because you're really only pouring out of things that you've tried to chase down yourself. Mm -hmm. And I wasn't going to just buy in without having some answers. And so that motivates a person to dig and, just, you know, I've seen you do the same thing. Mm. It's cool. Well, let yeah. me let me ask you this because I know, you know obviously ministry is um, is a taxing vocation, right? And there's much smarter men than than I who've written books on the subject. I won't go into that, but like, what what over the years, like, what has been one of the most challenging things about working here? People. <laughs> it's I mean, always people, you know. And I I say that sort of tongue in cheek, but you know, I'm I'm sort of not. I mean, relationship is messy ministry is messy. I remember early on when I was first starting, at times I thought my goal was if everybody would just do whatever they were supposed to do, everybody would get along and nobody would be arguing, like just do what you're supposed to do. And I remember having this thought like, oh my gosh, that's like what the Pharisees did or that's how Rome like governed, like not an internal motivation, but just obey and things will be okay. And then I realized, well, man, if I look back, the most important times are full of mess. And someone calls you late at night and you sit with them and they're miserable. It's not a happy time, you know, because they're going through it. And I feel awful because they're sharing about what's awful with them. And, oh, you know, and, but I'm realizing like, okay, well, I may feel awful, but they feel better. I may be tired, but maybe they have some you know, more life in them. And so it's this exchange that as a believer, we're not always coming out in a worldly sense on top because we're pouring out. So I just think people, and specifically the guys at Narrowgate, it's not necessarily your fault. They didn't learn certain things. So we're teaching that here. So we absorb the cost of their lack of experience or training or coaching so stuff gets broke yeah like that you could never think would get broke like right. steel beams like <laughs> yeah. i need to sign a disclaimer yeah. when we move someone like hey you think that we're you don't care if we like break a dish but it probably won't be a dish it'll be like a the car door or your dog vehicle. yeah how, how many times <laughs> does that happen you know so yeah, yeah, I mean, good question I, I don't mean i don't love people of course but it's just Hardest part of it is just the mess. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, it's no greater love, man. Laying down your life, laying yeah. down your Colin's life. Colin's laughing because wait, I missed something. What was that? Like when we worked here, when I worked here, there was always boots. Something would break, and you're like, "How in God's name did you break that? Yeah. How come every vehicle we have, the door panels are pulled? Like, I never in my life have had a car where I've yanked 
the door panels off. <laughs> yeah. But here on every vehicle, you get in like oh, that door panel's a little loose. <laughs> or like what the heck? All like, of the air vent like clips have come out. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Or every vehicle has its rear windshield smashed in different ways. It's happened a any, thousand any times. Uh, has got loading a firewood. Yeah. Just straight through the back yep. Dude, windshield. Five or six times at least oh. that's happened. So breaking stuff and, yeah. and people. But you know what? You're you're right though. If everybody did what they were supposed to do and just was obedient and everybody would get along, then we wouldn't we wouldn't have a job. No, we wouldn't. <laughs> you know, that's where the good stuff happens. Yeah. Well man, finally, um, we want to ask you this. We, if you had if you had just one message, just one thing that you wanted to share or challenge um graduates who've come and gone, because again, you know, we, we like to say there's there's guys graduating 18, 19, and guys all the way up in their, you know, 30s and 40s right now. If there was one thing you'd want to encourage or challenge um, our graduates graduates with today, what would that be? Um, oh, man, that's a heavy one because they're listening, right? Mm-hmm. Um, Hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> Don't be afraid to be vulnerable. Mm-hmm. Things that are kept in the dark. I, I've never been able to overcome something you know, when I've kept it in the dark and I've always had these awful pictures of what's going to happen if I tell someone about this mistake I made. And every time I've like willed myself to be vulnerable about something, it's met with understanding and compassion and freedom. Um, cause now people can help. So don't, don't be shamed. Don't hide it. Find someone you love and trust and Pulling it open, be that's vulnerable. A, that's a great one. That's good. Yeah. Well, dude. That'll preach. I love you. Love you guys, too. Love and you, too, I'm, Love your beard. It's, thank you. Love your hat. Thank <laughs> you. Yeah, I appreciate that. Love your polo. Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> hey, thanks for spending time with us. I know this is uh, <laughs> this is like, you know, another day. Oh, man, but, I've enjoyed it. But it's cool to, to be able to talk with you and kind of go back in time a little bit. Yeah. So that mm-hmm. Way, way, see, way yeah, back. So <laughs> the guys can see, you know what brought you here? They just kind of see, I mean, you're like, what, like 65, 70 now? Yeah. It's got my AARP card. (laughs) Yeah. No. So I think that it's cool that guys have the ability to see your experience and and know that there's, there's relatability there. Yeah. Yeah. Dude, this is awesome. You guys are awesome. And uh, I love you. This has been fun. Thanks. Boots. (laughs) Boots.